You know, the people yeah. who are own like a single family and duplexes, they're not necessarily looking for a, a 10 or 20 unit place. You know, that's too big for them. And then also the, the big companies that are focused on 100 unit plus places, they don't, they're not even looking at these, uh, you know, midsize uh, multifamily either. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me excited to have uh, Matt Jones. Matt, you're here again on Wednesday, every Wednesday. What's up, Matt? Oh, I'm, I'm doing well uh, these crazy times with real estate, but I'm excited for opportunities <laughs> in the near future. Yeah, maybe we should head on that in a second. Uh, we wanted to mention too, it, hey, it's Wednesday morning, but we have a um, our North Star Real Estate Conference. We, uh, we're do, we do a, a quarterly lunch. And uh, today at lunchtime, uh, I think 1130 uh, in Roseville, I'll be speaking uh, about capital raising. I've got two investors They'll be there as well. They're going to be talking about kind of what they look for in deals. One of them actually is doing some capital raising too. So he's going to talk about his some of his success in capital raising. Uh, both of them actually have raised some capital. Um, so they'll talk about their success and what they look for and, and kind of challenges out there in the market today. So that'll be good. So if you can show up, if, you, if you're listening to this in the morning, uh, Wednesday, April, what day is it? 26th. April 26th. Uh, if you're listening to it. Then hey, uh, come come on over. You got to buy a ticket; it's pretty cheap. But if you're missing this one, no big deal. We'll have another one uh, next quarter as well. So just stay tuned. I'll make sure I mention it on the podcast. But stay tuned for that. Otherwise, you can go to um, our website, which is northstarunlimited.live, and you'll just stay informed that way as well. So, all right, on to the show. As you mentioned. Real estate's kind of crazy right now, wonky. We'll see what goes on. It's interesting. I think we're in some very interesting and volatile times. But I also think that, um, you know, if you're safe, you set yourself up for success, you'll be okay. Uh, It's easy to have not set yourself up for success. Uh, And that's going to be the interesting part is what happens here. And I think the biggest thing is what happens here with all these loans that are coming due, specifically what happens with uh, these loans that are bridge loans, construction type loans that have high interest rates that float, that move around, even the Fannie Freddie floater loans that move, even though those are considered less volatile. Those those are interesting loans out there. People, A lot of people buy caps, but some of those caps, people just, you know, you bought a cap and it allows your interest rate to go up by 300 basis points. You never expected it. Um, so anyways, very interesting times. We'll see what happens, but I can't predict the future, Matt. Can you? Uh, I, I can, but uh, I'm not sharing. Sorry. Not sharing, not sharing. He's going to be... Uh, very wealthy man, uh, indeed. <laughs> well, that's yeah. not what we're talking about today, Matt. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to continue our series. Last time we talked about one to four units, and so now we're going to continue talking about multifamily, but uh, you know, small multifamily, so five units and up. Yeah, so five five units and up, and we'll probably you know five units to probably about like yeah, let, let's call it like eighty units or so. Um, 75 units, somewhere around there. I mean, there's there's really no qualifying, but what I, what I would qualify small is I have to 
I have to have people that, you know, if I, if I've got, um, on-site staff. I can't have on-site staff, right? So I can't have an on-site maintenance guy. I can't have an on-site leasing person. Now, maybe I I can if I have a couple of properties that are really, really close to each other, and then that becomes convenient. So if I've got a, let's call it a 40 unit and just down the road uh, with very short distance, I've got another 40, 50, 60 unit. Um, now, now, all of a sudden, we have some efficiencies there, but you know, your typical 40, 50, 60, even 20 unit building, even five unit building, those kind of fall and they're, they're the same. I can't have that my on-site leasing person. I can't have my on-site maintenance person there for 40 hours a week. It just would cost me way too much. It's just, it's not efficient. And so they have to, you know, get in their vehicle to go over there. You're going to pay more. Um, you're usually paying a, a nice leasing kind of commission. So half of first month's rent or maybe even full first month's rent, depending on what rents are um, for that leasing person. And then, you know, the maintenance person, you know, you're going to have to pay them for their travel time as well. Cause they're, they're not just at your property. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whether you have that in-house uh, where, or you're contracting it out with a third party um, yeah, it's, it's going to cost you more in the end per unit than it would with a larger uh, unit property. Yep. So let's talk. So, so that's kind of how I qualify small multifamily, right? It can't support an on-site. They can't support on-site staff. Okay. That, that qualifies the small. And so again, that's about, it's really a hundred units is, is more uh, into the large multifamily, I would say, but you can, depending on the the property, the income level, uh, or not the income, the rent level, you can support on, you know, we're buying a 94 unit right now. Okay. We're buying a 94 unit. It's a great location. It's got big rents. Well, that can support on-site staff. No big deal because we've got enough income coming in. It's close enough to that hundred. It just makes sense to have. So we have an on-site maintenance person. We have a, you know, on-site leasing person. We can support that. And we can even have some part-time people coming in uh, here and there, or you know, pay for that as well. So, um, one of the, one of the big benefits, I think, so let's talk about benefits and let's talk, well, let's talk pros and cons. So, so benefits, and we'll talk about financing too, of these properties. So just, so one of the benefits of, uh, these properties is a lot of them are owned by mom, pa's and the mom, pa, uh, owners oftentimes are owners that aren't very professional, um, and, and so they haven't put the systems and processes in place. They they maybe still do paper background checks. They maybe uh, still have still walk to the or get, go to the property, walk around and collect rent, uh, or have the the resident mail them rent. Um, you know, just just older uh, property owners that you know kind of own maybe one, two, three here and there. Just. Do the maintenance, maybe even themselves, uh, maybe are doing the showings themselves. You know, they just don't have systems and processes in place. Um, and, and so you can improve upon that, right? You you have that opportunity. Oftentimes, because they're, it's owned by a mom pod, it, they don't have the systems and processes in place, but they also haven't raised the rents to follow market. They maybe haven't done the updates to follow the market. Um, and and maybe, just maybe, there's opportunity for you to come in and, and fix the properties up, to raise the rents, um, to lower the expenses, to increase the efficiencies, uh, and also 
potentially even get some seller financing because these are mom and pa. Maybe it's a 80-year-old guy who's got, getting ready to retire, guy or gal is getting ready to retire. And they're like, hey, yeah. Uh, so somebody, seller financing used to be a lot more common. So if it's an older person, they maybe got seller financing themselves. Yeah. And I would say also another benefit is the lack of competition with buying these places. You know, the people yep. who are own like a single family and duplexes, they're not necessarily looking for a 10 or 20 unit place. You know, that's too big for them. And then also the, the big companies that are focused on 100 unit plus places, they don't, they're not even looking at these, uh, you know, midsize uh, multifamily either. So there's a lot less competition. There's more options for buying and you don't have to, you know, try to get into bidding wars usually. And like you said, if you're buying these places and they're, especially if they're close together, then you can create those efficiencies to make it more cost effective to run. Yeah. And so the lack of competition, Matt, is a great point. That can be both a pro and a con, right? Because your lack of competition allows you to come in and buy it at a higher cap rate. So let's let's say a hundred unit apartment building in that area is going to sell for a five cap. That thirty unit building maybe sells for a six cap. So you're buying that thirty unit building at a better price, right? Now, where it that's a negative is I go and I fix it all up and I do all that kind of stuff. And now I have to sell it at a six cap where the other property I could sell it at the hundred unit, I could sell at a five cap. And so I create more value, a compound more value on my dollar that I put into it. But here's the beautiful thing. So it kind of depends on your strategy, right? A hundred unit might make more sense if it sells for a five cap versus a six cap, 30 unit building, apples to apples, if you're going to be in and out fairly quickly then maybe the 30 unit doesn't make as much sense. But the hundred, uh, the 30 unit could make a ton of sense if you're keeping it longer term because now you're making a lot more cash flow and you can buy that as six cap, you can fix it up, you can get those rents raised and now you're just cash flow and you're humming along. And and you can do that in, for an extended period of time. And if you're going to get rid of it in the first three years, then the sales price matters a lot right? The the cap rate matters a lot. But if you're going to keep it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the cap rate matters way more the longer out that is. The, the cap rate that you can buy it matters way more than the cap rate that you can sell it at. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned cap rate because that's, you know, when, when you're looking at small stuff, single families and duplexes, people aren't looking at cap rates Not at all. for valuation, but you get to five and, and up and, 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 you know, the bigger you go, the more that matters for pricing. Yeah. hundred percent, even a five unit mat and a, a six and a seven unit, uh, certainly do they, does cap rate play into it? Yeah, but not nearly as much. Like you said, the bigger you get, the more important cap rate is. Um, and it's just, just a bigger part of the function of how do we evaluate evaluate this this asset? So, um, yeah, and the fewer emotions are involved with uh, that as well. I mean, there's still going to be boy. some emotions, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think emotions just run wild no matter what. We're we're human well, beings. They're, we're just emotional creatures. I just feel like yeah. we're emotional creatures. Whether it might be different emotions, right? It might be like emotions on uh, uh, this is a beautiful property versus the, uh, the emotions on the financial aspects of it. But I still think people like people get emotional over the beauty of the building. And and quite frankly, you kind of should. Like if you look at a building, you're like, wow, this is a gorgeous building. I want to own it. 
they're quite frankly, that's not a bad thing because think about it. Your tenants, your renters that are prospective renters looking, if you're if you're buying a building, you're like, hey, that's an ugly building, like, but I'm gonna buy it because it's gonna cash flow. Well, guess what? People are gonna look at that building and go, man, that's an ugly building. I don't want to live there. Right. But if you got a beautiful building with beautiful property, beautiful amenities, all that kind of stuff, beautiful units, people are like, I want to live here because it's so beautiful. So you got to think about that. Like if you're emotionally attracted to that property, they're like like mentally like this is a gorgeous property. But that that's a big thing, actually, the to play into it. So I understand emotional attachment. You try to say, Oh, I'm an investor, I don't have any emotional attachment, but you know what? That's just not the case. Yeah, uh, that's a fair point. Uh, I guess my point was though with like single family, there's just it's it's almost pure. It's uh, only emotional. Yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily financial. I mean, certainly people don't want to lose money, but when the market's on a roller coaster, that's the the beauty of a single family. You're right, right? You you definitely are right. Like a beautiful beauty of a single family is like I can buy it when the market is crap when people are running scared and their emotions are uh on on fear alert i could go buy that property for you know let's call it a hundred and fifty thousand dollars and then all of a sudden people are uh, really confident the market's great everything is going swimmingly and you're like hey i bought that for 150 but five years later i can sell it for 375 or whatever it is you know so that doesn't that does happen in five to a hundred unit you know or five to a thousand unit that does happen, but to a lesser extent, right? To definitely to a lesser. We're always we're just emotional people. We just are like people are emotional, but but it, there's still parameters, right? In in the investing world, so yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, that was a big tangent that we went off. I don't think that was a part of the program here, but. Uh, what are some other pros of buying these one to five or sorry, one to five, five to let's call it 75 unit or 80 unit or whatever you want to call it, apartment buildings? Well, you know, so you're getting into commercial loans with the five units and above. And now the banks will look at the income that you're making off mm-hmm. of the property itself to be able to, you know, prove your loan or not versus like if you're looking at single families, you know, you really have to get uh, your personal income uh, to be able to get that approved on that kind of loan. Oh, perfect. So let's let's dive into loans because loans are pros and cons on this yes. as well, right? So, so the loan uh, type structure, there's a lot of different options for five plus unit buildings. So you can get your local bank involved, right? So you can get your local bank and you're going to go to your commercial lender. Not just, It's not the same person that got your house loan, your personal house loan, or even your duplex loan. It's a commercial lender or a commercial broker, right? So they specialize in commercial loans. And so if you you go to your local bank, you can just look up typically on the website, look up for the commercial lenders and you'll find, you know, a bunch of them, right? And you, you call those people and that's who you're talking with. Those types of loans, your local bank loans are going to be usually on a shorter amortization. So it's 20, maybe 25 years, you might get lucky and get a 30 year, but usually it's a 20 to 25 year amortization. They're going to be usually booked out for um, anywhere between three to 10 year uh, time periods. So it's going to be locked in at specific interest rate for three to three to uh, 10 years. Let's just use five because that's the most common. So you're going to get a 25 year amortization for, for five years at a set interest rate. 
Those interest rates, depending on what's going on in the market, are either higher, lower, or the same as the rest of the market. Okay. In times of transition where interest rates are going up quickly, usually the local banks are the cheapest. When interest rates are going down, usually the local banks are the most expensive. So that just just a general rule. Um, so you'll get that interest rate fixed for that five years, 25-year amortization. Um, usually they're not going to be super aggressive on how much they'll lend to you, but they're also not going to be extremely conservative like some other lenders. So you're usually going to get like, you have to do like a 20 to 30% down payment. So I see very commonly 25% down payment. Um, they'll oftentimes fund renovations, okay? For cheap too. Like you don't have to do expensive draws. It's, 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 I love local banks when I'm doing a big renovation. They're my favorite because it's way cheaper to get into that loan, easier to deal with. It's great. The biggest negative, Matt, what do you think? What am I going to say? The biggest negative with the local bank? Oh, uh, you know, I guess I'm not sure actually. Okay. Recourse debt. Hmm. Recourse debt with that local bank. That, in my opinion, is the biggest negative. There are, you know, obviously the 25-year amortization could be a big negative. They've only locked in for five years or whatever that might be that that bank agrees upon. One of the biggest positives, I think, with working with local banks is they're local. They understand the market. They've been there. They know it. They feel they like it. They they don't like it. Whatever. They can give you good feedback. And they're easy to work with. They're super easy to work with. You can negotiate with them. You can negotiate with them. You can negotiate with any lender, but you can negotiate with them. Uh, a perfect example. I mean, we had we did a deal uh, last year, and we had a local bank that ended up funding it. We went to about fifteen different local banks, showed them the project, told them what we were looking for, and we told them like, "This is our expectations. This is how much money we expect from you. You're going to um, lend on on the." you know, on, on this construction portion of it. And you're going to give us this interest rate for this term. So we're telling them like, this is what we expect. And they come back to us with a term sheet and maybe they can or can't hit all of our expectations. Usually they can't hit all of them because we're being more aggressive than what the market's going to allow. Right. So let's say the market interest rates and we know we, we've talked to that bank. Maybe the bank says, Hey, we can get you an interest rate for 5%. Well, then we're going to give them our term sheet at four and a half percent. Right, we want four and a half percent. We want twenty-five year amortization, or maybe it's thirty-year amortization. And we're going to tell them that, and we're going to send that same thing to every bank, okay? And then the banks will come back to us with, "Hey, we can, we can't do, we we can do this, but not this, or this, but not this." And and then so we start negotiating with them, and then we can say, "Hey, you know, Bank A, Bank B is doing. They're giving us interest at three point nine percent. Your interest is at four point five. What can you do? Oh, we can get it down. Yeah, we'll we'll meet that. Okay. So if you get us down to 3.9 and you can get us to a 25 year versus a 20 year, we'll go with you. You know, and and so it's great because you can negotiate with these banks. Now you're not going to get everything maybe you want, but you can get a lot of great things with them. And I, and so they're easy to deal with. They're they're in my opinion, the most fun bank, fun is the right word, but they're they're the most fun lender to deal with. They're the they're the best 
you go to dinner with them, you take them for drinks, whatever it is. I mean, it's a, it's a relationship. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas the big name national banks don't really care about you as an individual. You're just a number. Yeah. Guy. So, so let's talk about that. So if you're getting a loan, especially on one of these smaller properties, let's call it 20, 10, you know, type unit, you're not going to go to a big bank of America, us bank, Wells Fargo, like, I wouldn't even bother with those banks. Go to the local bank that has one to five branches, maybe 10 branches, but some so something that's in your state and maybe maybe the neighboring state. You don't want to go with a big bank that has it just doesn't work. They credit unions are fantastic. Now, where the big banks will come in hand is if you're doing bigger properties, right? So we've got uh, a couple large banks on some of our big stuff, you know, over 100 units. Then they're more apt to to dive into that. Um, the other cool thing, Matt, with five plus units, so we can qualify for local banks, but what else can we qualify for? Uh, you're stumping me again. <laughs> Okay. Well, come on, Matt. I know you know these answers. I'm just catching you off guard. So I'm going to mention one, but then I expect you to come up okay. with another all one. Right, all right. So I, I I apologize. We didn't we didn't prep for this show, by the way. Like you, you know, we we just said, hey, we're gonna what are we gonna talk about? Oh yeah, last time we talked about we talked about this. Um, so I am catching Matt off guard. But so another type of a loan or lender that you can get. And this is, a, I think, a big positive. So you can get so what's called non-recourse loans. And there's several different types of non-recourse loans that you can get. So let's say you're buying a property that's pretty distressed, needs a lot of work. Uh, maybe your local bank just doesn't want to do it, or you're buying it in a market that's not local to you. So for instance, we're, we're in Minnesota and we buy properties in Tennessee and Kentucky and Ohio. Uh, it's really tough to get a local bank to get on board on that type of property. So we, a, a lot of times we'll go, and it's a big renovation, we'll go with what's called a bridge lender. And that bridge lender is, does exactly that. They're bridging the gap for, from when you purchase it to when you can get permanent financing on it. And and so that's a bigger renovation project. Um, you know, We can get non-recourse on that. It's interest only, uh, usually locked in on a term of like a three plus one plus one. So that means it's interest only for three years. And then we can buy for more money buy an extension of another year. And then if we need another year, we can again, buy that extension for another year. Now, these are very expensive loans and these are very risky loans. Okay. Because as we see right now, interest rates are going up. So if I lock that in, usually they're, they're, their interest rates based on SOFR, okay, the the overnight fund rate. So the interest rates based on a floating product, right, and, and it's continually changing. And so I might lock this in, and I think I got my interest rate at four percent or five percent, whatever it might be. But all of a sudden, the Fed goes and raises rates, or whatever happens, you know. The market gets a little scared, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden I'm paying, you know, if we go from 4% to 4.5% to 5, 5, 5.5% to 6.5% to 8.5%. <laughs> I'm like, crap. And so now I'm paying these big prices, especially if I don't put what's called a rate cap on it. And if you want to put a rate cap on it, that costs you money. Right now, Matt, you could buy a rate cap for 
you know, a, a property, it might cost you anywhere between, it depends on the size of the rate cap and all that kind of stuff, but it could cost you up to a million or more dollars, right? Even a couple million dollars for a rate cap. So now in a five unit, it's certainly not going to cost you that. And a 20 unit is not going to cost you that. But these bridge lenders aren't really in the appetite for 20. You're probably more like 70, 75 unit. Um, like I said, expensive loans, interest only, um, shorter term, three with a plus one, plus one. So up to five years, um, non-recourse, it's great. It's going to cost you a boatload of money up front. Um, to get these done, all kinds of legal fees, and they, they make you pay through the roof for everything. Uh, but it's a great construction loan product if, if you need it. So that's another one. Yeah. And there's also going to be a balloon payment after a set amount of time as well. Well, yeah, that's when your loan expires, right? So it's the three plus one plus one. After that, there's no opportunity to keep on kicking the can down the road typically. And so you have to either sell it or get that permanent financing on it. And even the three, okay, but the plus one is not guaranteed. You have to meet loan covenants to get that plus one and then the other plus one. So you only have three years and they're pretty strict on their loan covenants. Meaning like if you mess up, if you're not doing what you said you're going to do, they might not give you your draws. They might, they, they can be pretty mean to you if they want. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So the risky, they're definitely risky loans, but they're out there. What's another loan product you can get for five plus unit properties? Agency loans. Yeah, agency loans. So what are we talking about, Matt? Uh Fatty or Fanny, Freddie. Um, yeah, those kind of things. Fanny, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, CMBS, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, Fannie and Freddie are into the single families, right? But they're also in the, the multifamily and they're going to give you a great product. And it's going to be similar yet different than uh, these, these uh, single family loans, but you're going to be able to get a 30-year amortization, right? That's a possibility with the Fannie Mae, uh, or actually pretty much guaranteed with the Fannie Freddie uh, Mae, Fannie Freddie. Um CMBS, not so much guaranteed, 20, 20, 25 years, 30 years. You know, there's there's a lot of variations there. CMBS is, you know, think, think of it as like your insurance companies and Wall Street and stuff like that. Um, Fannie and Freddie will have a lot of different product types. They have a floating product. They also have a, a, a you know, five-year option, 10-year option, seven-year option, 10-year option, 15. 12-year option, 15-year option. They have lots of different options for you. And the different interest rates, depending on the option. And, and so, and you know, down payment requirements, you know, interest rates based on how much you, you down pay. You know, if you only do 20% down, you're going to pay higher interest than if you do 60 or 40% down. Um, so lot, lots of variations there. But usually with that, you go through a commercial mortgage broker. So- you know, there's Meridian Capital, there's Greystone, there's, uh, you know, a lot of the brokers, Colliers, uh, CBRE, and, um, you know, there's Northmark, there's Newmark, there's there's a ton of them. So it's a commercial mortgage broker that you're typically going to go through to get this type of product. Some of the bigger banks also, you know, offer that type of product too. Uh, but I think for myself or for us, it's easier to go through a mortgage broker. You're going to pay the mortgage broker a fee. Um, that's negotiable, but let's call it between a, a half and 1% uh, origination fee based on based on the loan. 
Um, these are for these agency debt are for loans a million plus. Okay. CMBS is going to be a little higher than that. You'll have a little tougher time at that million dollar range. They really like to see five plus, but a million dollar range is kind of your, your minimum. CMBS is really five plus. <clears throat> um, non-recourse, but and they're not they're not looking necessarily at, I mean, they do look at it, but they don't qualify you the same as like your single family house. What they're looking at is what's your net worth, okay? And what's your liquidity, right? They want to make sure that your net worth is equal to or greater than the loan amount. And they want to make sure that your liquidity is enough to, to pay some debt service, right? It depends on the risk of the deal and all that kind of stuff, but let's call it six months worth of debt service. Um, <clears throat> then you're, you'll sign on the debt as a non re as a non recourse, meaning they can't go after you personally, right? Um, you can bring in on, on anything, I guess you can bring in key partners. So KPs, key principals, key partners, you could bring those in to sign on the debt with you. And so if somebody, if you're like, Hey, I don't have the net worth. I don't have the liquidity. Oh, and there's also an experience aspect to it. They want you to have some experience. You're like, I don't have those things. I can't qualify. That sucks. Well, not just slow down. Not so fast, especially because it's non-recourse. If you got a good property, non-recourse, low risk, it's a lot easier to find a KP. Somebody that's like, yeah, I'll sign on that debt. No problem. Right. Uh, They're going to want something for it. Right. They'll want some ownership, want some profit, but easier to find. So anyways, we're getting into the weeds here. I didn't mean to go so deep into the weeds. There's a lot of loan products for these five plus unit properties, I guess. And there's other options even out there that we're not covering. You know, you mentioned million dollar or more loans. And, and uh, you know, that's interesting because when you get to a, about a million dollar property, that's about when it becomes worth it to potentially do a syndication for the purchase, as well as uh, cost segregation, depending on how long you're planning to hold on to it. So, yeah, another probably benefit of a, I wouldn't necessarily say five unit property, but of small multifamilies, you do have an option to syndicate those buildings. I think a million dollar purchase is still pretty small myself to do a syndication. I feel like that syndication needs to be closer to the million dollar mark to raise. Like mm. the, the the amount you need to raise should be closer to a million dollars, not the amount you're purchasing. You know, I, I think you could justify doing it for a little bit less if you're raising, you know, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. Sure, then maybe that makes sense. Um, but man, I guess a big problem with syndicating is it's expensive up front. So if you're doing a small raise, that means you're you don't have a lot of profit, pure profit. You might have good profit margin, but you don't have a lot of pure profit sitting there. And so it's gonna cost you, you know, ten thousand dollars to get this set up. That could eat into your profit pretty big. So you kind of got to look at that and like, what's my profit? What's my real profit? Does it make sense to set this syndication up, bring people in? You know, are they going to be excited about this smaller deal? You know, that that type of thing. So I, I know people do it for 500 grand, um, a syndication and raise 500 grand for it. Um, to me, that's, that's a pretty small deal. Um, I, I generally tell people, 
kind of 750 is the bare bones minimum. Yeah. And then I'll, like I'll also mentioned, the cost segregation uh, becomes a lot uh, yeah. more affordable to do at a million dollar or more property. There's the, there's the million dollar that the property, I would say a hundred percent. And in, again, talk to a cost segregation, um, you know, company, CPA, whatever they're going to, they're going to say we can go lower than that. But yeah, the million dollar market makes so much sense to do a cost segregation with bonus depreciation. Um, so that, that is a big, big benefit. And, and a lot of five plus unit buildings are going to be selling for that million plus. So, um, you know, if you if you look at your general property kind of US based you know, B class product is probably into that one to 150 175 range per door and so you know most properties that are 10 units are going to be a million dollars yeah I mean depending on the market of course but yes yeah market dependent right right yeah you're yeah you gotta you're buying something in in a not very good neighborhood in a not very good town yeah you're or not very hot town, you're yeah, you're not gonna spend that much, but uh so cons. So what what are the issues with these uh smaller multifamily? Well, like you mentioned with the property management, that is more of a hassle, more expensive. And when you're rehabbing, you know, if you have uh you know a construction or, or a you know, rehab company coming in, like a lot of times these units are all unique and different and uh there's just not as much efficiency with updating the units. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Not enough, uh, not enough efficiency updating the units. A lot of these uh, smaller buildings, especially when you're talking like the five, six, seven, eight unit, are hob cobbled together. So we get a lot of issues with that. They maybe weren't purpose built. Uh, but even if you do buy a purpose built, it's just not as efficient to do a couple of units here and there. You get one vacancy. You know that's that's the problem. I mean, you get to do in a ten unit building, and you want to renovate units. Oh, all of a sudden, we want to renovate three units at a time. Get enough work for our, our contractor. Well, that means we've got a seventy percent occupancy. You know, ah, shoot, that sucks. Where if I got a bigger property, it doesn't hurt so bad, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I think one of the biggest issues is is that the lack of efficiency. And there's a lot of things that we can talk about. We already talked about the person not being on site. Um, that that really is a bummer. Uh, in my opinion, the people on site are are awesome to have. So that's why I really love the 100 plus unit, quite frankly, to like 200 plus units, even better, because now we got multiple people on site and we can stagger their schedules. So we've got not only people there for eight hours, now we got people there for 10, 11, 12 hours. Um, we can get them there for six days a week easily, maybe even seven, depending on the size of the property. So I like the bigger units for that, but um, third party or even self-management is very much, it's, it's, let's talk third party first. Third party property management, it's challenging to find a quality third party property management company that'll take on smaller properties. And so the smaller you get on this spectrum that we're talking about, the harder it is, and this is like single family one to one to four unit as well, because the quality, high quality property management, third party property management companies, the ones that are the highest quality want to focus on the most profit margins, most profitability, and that's going to be in the larger and higher class apartment buildings, right? So if we're talking like a, you kind of you kind of go like, look. 
a a class property management company is going to be managing a class and b class multifamily that are 100 plus units that's your a class property management company your b class property management company is going to be either running c class or many of them might be b or c class management companies that are going to be managing c class large multifamily or they're going to be managing smaller multifamily and so it's just you don't get as high of qualities in my opinion very challenging to find good quality property management companies and so perfect example like i, I bought four properties in cincinnati okay four properties in Cincinnati and I hired a first property management company. They did okay, but they, they just didn't have infrastructure in place. And so I wasn't getting good reporting. It just, the it, books were the were, were a mess. They just weren't doing a great job managing. So I was like, get rid of them. So fire them, hire a new company in. Okay. They were complete disaster. They talked a great game, but complete disaster. They couldn't manage. They couldn't rent. They couldn't maintain the properties. They couldn't keep the books worth a darn. I had to fire them quickly. I hired another company. They were they were actually a larger property management company, and they didn't focus on that, but they were managing some of my other properties. And so they came in to manage these properties, but they sucked at it because they were, their main focus was these bigger properties and they did a terrible job at it. That wasn't their focus. So then finally, I hired my fourth property manager all within like a couple of years. That fourth property manager, she finally did a good job. Uh, but what worked, and I think this is what you really got to look for. And these were, by the way, these were 10 to 22 unit buildings, Okay. What you got to look for is this lady was very hands-on. She was running the show. Uh, she had back-end support, but she was running the show. She was very hands-on and in the business. And that's what helped a lot getting these off the ground. I would use her again if I were to ever buy a small building, which I probably won't. But I would use her again if I was ever to buy a small building in the Cincinnati area. It's just hard, though. You just it's just challenging to find these quality companies, and I wouldn't even say she was high quality. I would say she was a fantastic person. I'm not trying to bat her character. A fantastic person, amazing person, but her property management company um, was good enough, right? <laughs> Especially yeah. after having disasters. <laughs> well, but that's how you. That's what happens, and that happens over and over. And even in the large multifamily space, I would say third-party property management is never perfect. Like you always have issues, but I think with smaller multifamily, you're just going to have a lot more. Yeah. I mean, you and I have both owned some small to medium sized stuff. And so, so there's nothing wrong with, with uh, that size. Uh, you know, it's just, I think it all depends on what your business plan is, what, what your investment goals are. If uh, the small to midsize matches with what you're trying to get, then go with that uh, yep. versus something else. Yeah, quite frankly, we're looking into that uh, ourselves right now. We're looking at high quality areas, high quality product that are close to product we already have. And so we're looking at for us, like, would it make sense to come in and buy a 
40 unit townhouse community or something like that. That's really high quality product. That's really close to another property that we already own. So we can, you know, but it's a little different strategy, but I think if you're going to get in these smaller ones, the best thing you can do is to try to buy as many in a small tight space as possible. Right. And so that way you can get some scale and you don't have people running all over the city uh, to get those. And, and quite frankly, I mean, Again, I don't. I think there. I think there's a space for them in a portfolio as you're growing, and I think there are certain people that can be, become really good at this kind of niche. Um, Matt, you kind of said it earlier, but I want to make sure the listeners understand it. Like one to four family, and even five, six, seven. Right? Here's the thing: is like when you're first beginning, what do you go after, man? Normally the small stuff that what seems achievable to you, what you have. Seems achievable, right? It's easier for you to buy. You get the money for it. You know, you and maybe a couple partners can go in on it. So one to four family, no big deal. Five, six, seven, eight units probably still is achievable for a lot of people. But once you start getting up into these buildings that are a little bit more expensive and it could depends on your market, right? And maybe that ends up being a 20 unit. But once you get over to that, like, hey, we're, we got to buy this thing and we got to put you know, a down payment of 500 grand plus on it, that's not very achievable for a lot of people. And especially when we're talking, let's let's say we're talking anywhere between about, I would say 250,000 up to that $750,000. If that's your down payment or that's the money you got to put into it, that's really challenging. Even I would, even I would probably go up to a million dollars. That's really challenging for most people because it's too small for a syndication. It's too big for the average typical real estate investor. And so that's why there's that opportunity for you to get into these properties, right? Now, some syndicators will go down in, in that million or less space, right? And that might be you, but it's it's just not the big niche that most syndicators are going after. Like we're going after deals that we have to raise 5 million or more for. And most people in my space are doing that. Right. So. Very good. All right. Well, uh, I don't have anything else, I guess right now. I mean, we could go on, but uh, that's all right. Now we've talked too much. Uh, we'll, so next, so next week we'll hit on large multifamily. A lot of it will be repeat. So we're not going to, have to uh, you know rely so much on talking about the loans. We'll just kind of brush through those really quick and um, and some of that stuff. But yeah, so we'll talk next week. Large multifamily, and then we'll go on to some different food groups too. Uh, we're just hit. We've just hit the the residences right now. We'll hit some other fun stuff too. Very good. All right, man, Matt, uh, listeners, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day Saturday. Thanks. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com, 
and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.